0: shi jaitan churitamrit jai shri krishnas kaviraj ko sami maharaj bhakti vedant sami propad ki jai to esi jai. bhakti, jai. Jai. bhakti rakshak sidhari ko Shami maharaj ki jai, jai. shri varshuti taku propad ki jai, jai. shi bhakti vinod puri bar ki jaye ko premanandi so we were reading from jaitan the tritamrita chapter 17 the Lord travels to Vrindavan. And as you may know, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has been trying to go to Vrindavan since the time he took Sanyas, which is now several years past. He took Sanyas and tried to go to Vrindavan, but he was deterred by Advaita Prabhu, Nitananda Prabhu, and brought back to Advaita Bhavan in Shantipur and then with the permission of his mother. Pathetic sannyasi. (laughs) It's very artificial for the Supreme Lord. Although he is full in all opulences, one of which is sannyas, renunciation, a very attractive uh, thing to have. If you want to attract people, then renown. So many people become attracted to you because they think you must have something. So, when the Lord wants to be a renouncer, then no one can be a better renouncer than he. So, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, as you know, is very strict in his sannyas observances. And with regard to that, he wanted to spend some time alone, as a typical sannyasi, without the botheration of other persons and what they might involve him in. Gramyakatha na shunivei, he told... Raghunathās Goswami, another great renouncer, disciple of Mahāprabhu, don't be involved in just village talk, gossip. At the same time, there is a kind of gossip and village talk that Mahāprabhu is very interested in, and that is found in Vrindavan. What village girls and people are saying behind the scenes, talking and gossiping about what went on in the forest the night before, Mahaprabhu's ear was very keen to hear about that, the affairs of Radha-Krishna, Rahulila, radha krishna roti keli But that is a very special kind of bond, forest, Vrindavan. We going to hear a little bit about that. Mahaprabhu is going into the Jahari Kanda forest in Madhya Pradesh, but his destination is the Vrindavan forest, several hundreds of miles, and naturally he's reminded of Vrindavan when he enters into the Jhari Khanda forest. And he's done so now, here in this chapter, finally, as I say, after years of attempting to go there, held back by the love and affection of his devotees, which wouldn't allow him to go. The force of their love for keeping him in their company was very powerful. And they, by the force of their love, they came up with so many, so much reasoning as to why he should... Remain a little longer, wait a few months, and so forth. So there's a connection between love and reasoning. Although it's said love knows no reason, it can also be said love has a reasoning of its own. Love has knowledge, a kind of knowledge within it by which one knows what to do and what to say and how to accomplish what the force of one's love (laughs) drives one to accomplish. In the beginning, then, Hopefully our Krishna consciousness will be guided by common sense and intelligence by which through good intelligence derived from Shastra, scripture and hearing from saintly persons, we can put the mind and senses in place. But if we're able to do that successfully in time, then intelligence itself should come to take a back seat as the self comes out and begins to taste the nectar of Krishna consciousness so then Driven by that, another kind of super logic comes to guide our lives. So Mahaprabhu is guided by that super logic, and so are his devotees. And so all the talks are talks of love. And even when they tried to keep Mahaprabhu from his cherished desire of going to Vrindavan, the fact of the matter is that in the company of their loving affection, he's never outside of Vrindavan. So it's all a play. Drama, Leela. Finally, they acquiesce and give the Lord permission to go to, ostensibly to Vrindavan. But as we know, he's never out of Vrindavan in the first place. So, anyway, he's gone now. He's left. Well, he's about to leave. We were just about to hear that. And so, Kaviraj Krishnadas Kushami Mahashay explains He says, Puvarat tre Joganath deki So, the night before Purva Ratri, Mahapu saw Diki Jagannath, and he took the permission of Lord Jagannath for going. So we live in the proximity of, or in the, in the place of, as for example here, of the Lord, but uh, we don't think to ask his permission to go here or there. <laughs> no, it's not just a statue standing. Gauran and Nityananda Prabhu, but he's Gauran and they have and it the themselves. I'm just translating a song, Kirtan, of the Vaishnavas. Now, describing the uh, relationship of Vaidas Pandit and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nitananda Thakur, a very nice song. And in that song, Vaidas Pandit has, in his house, Gauri, Thakur Pandit Ter Gori, in the house of Gauridas Pandit. Gauranache, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is dancing, Pide Pide. round and round and round. He's dancing wildly. And Nityananda is singing, Nityananda Bole Hori Hori. And Gori Das Pandit says that, I want to keep you here in my house. And you cannot leave. This is my statement. And I'm a, of Brahman, so you have to make my words come true. I say, you should always stay. You shall always stay here, emphatically. says, I'm a Brahman, so you have to see that my words come true. This way he reasons lovingly with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and you can't leave my house. So then Mahaprabhu says, yes, it's a nice idea, but actually we're here, because he had the deity of God and Nityananda. We're here in the form of our deity, and you're worshipping us And the Tattva. So there's no difference between the deity and the Lord. This is a... A rare instance, but two occasions there are in which there was the deity of Mahaprabhu while he was still present. The case of Goridas Pandit and Vishnupriyadevi. Devi. When Mahaprabhu was in Puri, the devotees manifested a murti of him, and they brought the murti three times before Vishnupriyadevi, Devi, the wife of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And one time they brought, she didn't say anything. Second time they brought, she didn't say. Yeah. Third time they brought, improving the, the carving, each time. Third time she pulled her veil across her head. Agnostin Mahaprabhu was present, seeing the shyness of Vishnu Pradeep for her beloved. So, then from there, of course, so many deities of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Nityananda Prabhu have come to try to console us, all the bhaktas of Mahaprabhu and Nityananda Prabhu, in, in their absence. they present. So Mahabrabhu reasoned like this, and the Gauradas pundit said, of course, no, I want you to stay here. So then he said, all right. So the deities got up and walked out. <laughs> then he ran after, said, no, come back. I want you to stay here. And so the Lord said, we'll make up your mind. The deities went back on the altar and then the Lord left. So we should try to develop this kind of relationship with the deity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Mittanamda They're very accessible. Mahabrabhu had... Such relationship with Jagannath, he asked his permission, I'm going to Vrindavan. Naturally, Jagannath gave his permission. <laughs> and, Shesaratre, Prabhu Chalila, Lukana. So, uh, alone, without anyone else, then just toward the end of the night, he left. While everyone was still resting. He went alone, of course, because previously when he went to Bengal on his way to Vrindavan, he was advised by Sanatan Prabhu. At that time, so many hordes of devotees, thousands of devotees were following Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, wherever he went, Nimai Pandit, that hometown boy, Anadya had gone to Puri and taken sannyas. At just 25 years old, he had converted the king of Orissa and the guru of the king first, Vata Acharya And Pratapruddha the king, was a very, very powerful person. He's called Gajapati, Lord of Elephants, he had many elephants. You know, at that time, Bengal was ruled by the Muslims, and they were trying to extend their influence throughout India, but they could not come into Puri, the home of Jagannath, was so well fortified by the Raj Pratap and his armies. So, he was a very powerful person, and his guru, Bhattacharya Sarvabhoma was a Bengali, and he had gone to Puri, taken the Chetrasannyasa, vowed to stay in Puri. He was a very senior man. Tacharja Sarvabhoma, very sober and senior, well-known, very, very wise. He used to counsel and advise young renunciates in Vedanta so they would become fortified in their position based on good intelligence and logic of sambandha, what's what, <laughs> what something looks like and what it really is, and so forth. Mahaprabhu, a young boy only, 25, 24 he was actually, 24, 24, he converted the king, and the king's guru, and everybody followed the whole of Puri, and they're hearing the news, young boy has converted, and he's gone to the South India, and he's conquered there with his new religion, sweeping the whole nation, and he came back to go to Vrindavan, he came back through Bengal to see his mother, and you can imagine then what the reception was. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, so wherever he went, thousands and thousands and thousands of people were following him. And now he was about to go to Braindavan, and they were all going to follow him. And Sanatan Prabhu Sanatan Goswami said, it is not a good idea to go to Braindavan with a huge crowd of people. So Sanatana Goswami was a very wise minister, so he knew the, the political situation in the land. So his advice to Mahaprabhu was both external and internal, an excellent counselor. Sanatana Prabhu was so, in later years, when he came to reside in Vrindavan, he was so wise in every field that people would come to him over disputes, not only over big theological issues and so forth, which he would give the answers to, but over common differences and disputes, and he would give wonderful answers to the villagers, and they all loved him like a grandfather. The affection of Braj for Sanatana Goswami was so great that if he came in one of the villages of the Braj, walking, such a respectable person. From a material point of view, he had such education. From a Saraswat Brahmana family, knew seven eight languages. He had served in the government in Bengal as a minister to the, the governor, with like a senator in power and influence, or like a governor of California. Very, he was very uh, well. Acquainted with worldly dealings and culture and, and so forth, and spiritually, unlimitedly qualified. And when he would come into the village, the affection for him was so strong in Braj that when people saw him, they would run up to him, children, elders, and although they should have paid their pranam, dandavat pranam, falling on the ground before such a respectable person. The dealings between them were so affectionate that they didn't pay their obeisance. They just ran up to touch him, to have his company. Like you would meet your grandfather, wise grandfather, who has always been very kind to you. So Sanatana Goswami advised him, both externally and internally, he said, don't go with a big crowd, because the Muslims had influence in that area in Vrindavan. To come in with a huge crowd of people would look like you're coming in with an army to causes civil disobedience or disturbance, they would not be wise. And spiritually speaking, better to go to Vrindavan very humbly. That's so the idea. Whereas a devotee will go, hoping to have a place there, not with your shoes on, I'm here, like that. No, So Mahababhu took his advice, and now, at that time he didn't go, but when he came back to Bengal, second time in his attempt to go to Vrindavan, which is now, Remembering the advice of Sanat, he left in the middle of the night. And then, what is the plight of those who remain behind? Pratha kale Prabuna prabhuna So at that time, then the devotees, they didn't see Mahaprabhu when they woke up in the morning. Anvesana kori phire And so they looked everywhere for him, searching for him in great anxiety. Imagine, as I say, their plight. Mahaprabhu disappeared in their midst, gone. He was fully affectionate to them but fully renounced at the same time. So Sarup Goshai Sabhai Golit Nibaran. So Sarup Damodar he stopped everybody. He knew. He knew in his heart, he knew in his mind, Mahaprabhu is gone. There's no question looking for him here now. He's he's gone. Hours ago he's taken off barefoot didn't go alone entirely because there was a negotiation, final negotiation between Mahaprabhu and Raya Ramananda, Svarupa Damodara. He said, I won't go without your permission, but I really want to go. He said, all right, we'll give you our permission, but with one condition. You don't go alone entirely. You must bring someone with you. Someone who will assist you along the way, carry your kamandalu, your water pot, while you chant on your beads. And someone who will gather some roots and herbs and fruits and leaves to make your lunch. Some assistant. My brother said, I cannot take anyone of you with me, because then others will feel bad. So if you can find somebody who's very controlled and peaceful, not like Halkrishna does, who you sent with me to South India, and I had to rescue from the gypsies. Don't give me someone like that. But very peaceful person, then, then I will accept. So Sarupādāmanda said, yes, there's one Balabhadra Charanja. He loves you very much. He's very peaceful, very quiet and self-controlled. You take him and one other assistant. Mahāprabhu agreed. So he's gone with the two of them, everyone else left behind. The all looking for him in Swarup Damodar. He understands Mahaprabhu has gone. Swarup is, of course, the leader amongst the bhaktis, the secretary of Mahaprabhu. He's described in Chaitanya Charitamrita as the other self of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the very Swarup, the very nature of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, manifest. Mahaprabhu is Krishna on Krishna Bahir Gaurang, but he has the bhava, the sentiment of Radha. And Surup Damar is the, the fast friend of Radha Lalita Saki in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Lila, Gaur Leela. So she knows everything, the mood of her mistress Radhika. So Surup Damar, he's the leader, he could understand. Mahaprabhu has gone. He always stopped them. Don't bother to look any further. nivhita rahe prabhu ramana So everybody else then, in their minds, they understood Mahaprabhu has, has gone. Prasidha-pattat. Chori Prabhu Upapate cholila, So he didn't take the main road. He took the back road. Like we live here on the back roads. He took the back roads. Kotok Dahine, and on his one side was Katak and Koribane Praveshila. He kept on the right, Katak, and to the left was the Jarikanda, and he entered into the forest. John Bane, so it was a very solitary forest, no one was around. John Bonnet, Chale Prabhu, Krishna Namalana, so he entered the forest, this quiet forest of where no people were, is the idea, chanting the holy name of Krishna. Hasti Bhyagre Pata Chale Prabhu dekhiya and there he saw along the path, Hasti Bhyagra Elephants and tigers. This is the real jungle. So big wild animals. This is in Madhya Pradesh and quite a long distance Mahaprabhu went through the jungle. Through Mahapur, Navadvip, through the jungle to Banaris. And then outside from Banaris, the other side, the rest of the distance to Vrindavan. So long distance he traveled in the jungle. Pale pale Vyakra Hasti Gundara Sukuragan. So he saw elephants and there were rhinoceroses and wild boars. Tarum Mode Aveshi Prabur Korilogamun and he went right through the middle of them absorbed in ecstatic love. And Deki Bata Charja Mone Hai Mahabhai so, Bhattacharya, Balabhadra Bhattacharya, he was scared. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine, they were in the middle of the jungle, wild tigers, wild elephants, rhinoceroses, and he was a simple, peaceful Brahman, but he was nervous, clinging tight to Mahaprabhu's company, and seeing the kind of ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the wild animals, both things are bewildering. So, Prabhu Pratapetarik Pashakvai. So, he stood close to Mahāprabhu's influence for protection. So one day, Mahāprabhu saw a lion, a tiger, lying on the path, right in the... He had to go over him <laughs> to get past. So Mahāprabhu... Touched him with his feet. Prabhu Kahe, the Lord said, Krishna Kahe, Vyagra Utila. Mahaprabhu said, Chant Krishna. Then the tiger got up, Krishna, Krishna Kahe, Vyagra, Nachite, Logila. And he began to chant Krishna, Krishna, and dance. <laughs> now, you maybe, when you were kids, I don't know, maybe it doesn't happen that much anymore, but when I was kids, then it was a big thing. If the circus came to town, it's a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Paul went too, but that was the Barnum and Bailey's. I think it was circus came to town, and so we would go. And then they would sometimes have dancing tigers, so you can know that it's possible to get a tiger to dance. But they they have to go through quite a bit of training <laughs> to get those tigers in the circus to dance. They have to starve them. And beat them, and then when they're very, very demoralized and actually afraid, so the trainer then they throw them some scraps. And then they come out and they eat a little bit. And this way, gradually they train them by beating them and just throwing them a scrap. And This is how we should deal with the tiger of our mind like that. We should beat him. Whenever he comes out to growl, you beat him, and then starve him. Don't feed him. He feeds on the thoughts of sense indulgence. And if the mind is feeding on that, well, then you'll be consumed by that. So you starve the mind, and you beat the mind, and gradually, gradually, this is yoga, you, you train the mind. And then you can get the mind to dance. marmon, marmon, marmon. Nathriyamaar mohan, Nathriyamaar mohan, Dvayal nitai chaitanya vole, Nathriyamaar mohan. The Bodhisattva sings like this, Oh, my mind, dance, my mind, dance. Nithai chaitanya vole, Nathriyamaar mohan. Sing about bar- Dvayal nitai chaitanya, the merciful Gaur Nityananda. Thinking of their mercy, you should dance, dance, become happy. So, Mahaprabhu dancing, wandering through the jungle, and causing the tigers to dance, not in the way that the circus trainers do, just by saying, chant Krishna, touching him with his feet, chant Krishna. So this tells us many, many things. One of my uh, students wrote me about something that someone else had written with regard to intelligence and its application in spiritual practice. And their emphasis was that you had to be intelligent to progress in Krishna consciousness. And you had to have a lot of logic and reasoning and so forth. And without this, you would just remain a neophyte. And this person gave an inappropriate emphasis to the application of one's intellect. Granted, we should use our intellect in Krishna's service, To whatever extent we have intelligence, intelligence is of different degrees and different shades also, different qualities. Our intelligence is in rajagun, Satvagoon, tamagun mixture and so forth. So according to our intelligence, power of it, then we should certainly use it in Krishna's service. But everybody is not an intellectual and an intellectual is not what distinguishes one type of devotee from another in terms of the ladder of spiritual progress, spiritual realization. Intelligence is mundane. It cannot even reveal the soul, or to speak of God, because it's inferior in constitution to both. So it doesn't require that you have intelligence a certain amount to become Krishna conscious. This person was saying that, well, you have to have logic and reasoning in order to hear from the scriptures and understand them, Otherwise, you cannot apply them in advance in Krishna consciousness. some truth to that as far as human beings go. But the fact of the matter is, even people who don't have intelligence like tigers can become Krishna conscious. If the person who's disseminating Krishna consciousness has Krishna consciousness, what if somebody doesn't have Krishna consciousness, but they have good reasoning, logic, and they can understand the theory of Krishna consciousness and speak it, write about it and so forth? Will that help us become Krishna conscious? That will only go as far as our intellect, but it won't touch our soul. If there's love and Krishna consciousness, then that may be conveyed through the language of logic for people who speak it. But what about people that don't speak that language of logic? They can also be conveyed to Krishna consciousness. Because what the distribution is about is somebody has it they can give it out. Krishna shakti nahi If we don't have the shakti of Krishna, then you cannot give out Krishna consciousness. So it's not an intellectual uh, type of uh, exercise. We may, as I say, use logic and reasoning, and we do, especially in speaking to educated people and so forth. But our extent of intelligence doesn't equal the extent of our advancement in Krishna consciousness. I wanted to say that this is an interesting point. That in Sri Krishna Sanghita, Bhaktivinoda Thakur has talked about Kanishadhikari, Madhyamadhikari. And he talks about the Madhyamadhikari as a person who is a broad minded intellectual, and the Kanishadhikari as one who is not broad minded, kind of takes the scripture li- literally, and so forth. But the important thing to notice in that book, in that particular book, Bhaktivinoda Thakur is not talking about Dikari and Madhya Madhikari that Rupa Goswami is talking about. He's using the terms differently. He's saying in the world there are two types of people. One who's kind of this broad-minded intellectual, another person who's a little bit more um, as a kind of a fundamentalist take on things. So it's a kind of a mindset. And he says the broad-minded people, would be easier for them to take to Krishna consciousness than to the dogmatic people, the, type, the fundamentalist type of mindset. But he's not talking about eligibility or level of realization within Krishna consciousness. It's a little confusing because the same terms, kunishtarikari, madhyamadikari uttamadikari, are used by Rupa Goswami in a different context. What I'm saying is that if you're not a broad-minded intellectual, you may still be a Madhyamadhikari. Because Madhyamadhikari, while it does involve fully engaging one's intelligence, this is the idea of Madhyamadhyam. Madhya means if we say Madhyam begins at Nishta, Nishta means fixed. One's fixed in his or her practice. That requires that the intelligence is fully operative in the sense of being convinced that my highest prospect lies in Krishna conscious practice such that in spite of the turbulence of the mind and the world that tries to distract me, I don't allow it to. So I'm holding my position there in my practice based on intelligence. And that doesn't mean that you read Eric Fromm or Shakespeare or you're a literature or a scientist or you're up to date with the social trends of the world and, and all such things. In fact, you could be very uninformed about such things, make statements that would appear that you were very uninformed about those things, and still be fully absorbed in Krishna consciousness and the stage of Miṣṭha. Of course, if you get other information, then you would alter your responses and so forth. And conversely, you could have read Shakespeare and who knows what else, and so many scriptures for that matter, and be theoretically well-informed, but not be fixed in your budget. So we should understand the spiritual life is functioning on a different plane. Our spiritual growth is going on irregardless of or in spite of whatever is going on with our physical, mental and intellectual self. And it can be conveyed by those who have it. Prabhupada had, for example, great love of Krishna, so people were very much influenced by him. by The power of his love and affection in the background behind his speaking and here's another example. Mahaprabhu had the kind of love of God that just by kicking a tiger, the tiger would, and saying chant Krishna, he would chant and dance. This is a great uh, miracle. Lochandas says, "Pashu, paki Yure pashana vidare, Ara araguna It is wonderful, he said, that Mahaprabhu caused the tigers to dance and chant. And uh, of course, we are in one sense more dangerous because. We're a little wild too, or can be, and we have intelligence. Well, that's a very dangerous animal. If you gave a tiger with all of his power, ferociousness, intelligence, well then we'd be in big trouble. Once Prabhupada went to the zoo in San Diego, a famous, San Diego, I think, famous zoo, and uh, some devotees took him to the zoo. You seen the different animals, and there was one lion in the cage, growling, and one of the sannyasis with Prabhupada took a stone and threw it at him to get him to growl more. And Prabhupada said, don't do that. He's the king of the jungle. So already humiliated enough, he would throw a stone at him, he's already in the cage. He's a king. (laughs) This is Prabhupada's vision. And then after touring the whole zoo, he said, so what have we learned today? Nobody had the answer, and Prabhupada said, intelligence is more powerful than physical strength, because by intelligence, obviously, these wild animals have been caught, captured, put in a cage for viewing. So, human beings have intelligence, and if they're wild, and their intelligence is wedded to their mind and senses rather than to scripture and the words of saintly persons, then they can be very dangerous. Very difficult to preach to. But Lochan does talk where he prays. Anyway, you've caused wild animals to chant and dance. Hopefully, you can make me do the same. Be kind to me. And Prabhupada used to say regarding that, well, then, so at least we ought to be able to make human beings chant. But then, as I say, we might reason it's harder. But he was successful at that. So Prabhupada was uh, extraordinary as well. So, Tiger chanted Krishna Krishna. Ardin, and so another day, Mahaprabhu Kori Nadi he wanted to take a bath in the river. Motta Hasti Oila Jalpan. And there's at that time then a herd of wild elephants came for drinking in the same river. How'd you like to be bathing in the river? <laughs> a herd of wild elephants came. Mm-hmm. I was in the jungles in South India with Narsingham Marsh, and we were walking up. The river. It was a, a hike up the river we were doing, and there were wild elephants there in the, in the forest. But they didn't come down and try to drink water where we were bathing. But this happened to Mahaprabhu. So what did he do? Prabhu Jal Kritya Kauri. Mahaprabhu was in the water, and he was murmuring his mantram, like Hayatri Mantra. Agihasti and along here they came, the elephants... Krishna boli Prabhu, Jal marila So he then he told them to chant, chant the name of Krishna, and he splashed them with water. Say Jal Bindu kana Jai Gay, Say Krishna Krishna Preme And the elephants then who were got splashed with some drops of water from Mahaprabhu, they began to chant Krishna Krishna and dance in ecstasy. Kheha, kheha chitkār dekhi chārja Mone chamatkār. So, Balabhadaprata charges and he's amazed. He's full with chamatkār, with wonder, to see the acts of Mahaprabhu. Some of the elephants, they fell on the ground and rolled around. Some screamed in ecstasy so now it says mahaprabhu went on chanting sankirtan and it was madur kantha dhvani dhvani means sound so kanta, from his throat the sound came, madur, very, very sweet. His chanting was very sweet. And in the forest, what animal is captured by sound? Who can say? Mm-hmm. The deer. So the deer heard this sweet sound of Krishna Sankirtan coming from the throat of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And they were attracted. They had to come, run up to him. Dohine baume, dwani shuni jai prabhu sanghe stoko poderange. So on his left side and his on his right side and his left side they all came and surrounded him, hearing the sound dhani shuni of Mahaprabhu. And deer are very curious, so they had that curious type of look and here if you see the deer that he would run very quickly. They ran up to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which I imagine. What was his position? And he said here, he patted them on the head. Mahaprabhu now you're going to chant one shloka from Srimad Bhagavatam. Through the pen of Krishna Goswami. Mahaprabhu is chanting. Danyasma Mudha Matayopi Eta Janandanandanam Akarnya Venu ranitam saha sara pujam dadhur pirachitam So, this is a verse from Venugita of Srimad Bhagavatam, 21st chapter of the 10th canto. All the gopis are singing about the glories of Krishna Venu. Venugit, the song about Krishna's flute. Venu means flute. So, they're singing about the effects of that flute. This is one verse from there, and they're saying, Oh, see how hearing the flute of Krishna, all the does and all the bucks come. The does come and the bucks, they don't mind. The male deer, they don't mind. They like it. They're happy to see their wives go to Krishna. But behind what they're saying is, our position is not like that. If our husband saw us running to Krishna, which we can't do, then there would be havoc in the village. So our position is so unfortunate, so lucky are the deer, that they can hear the sound of Krishna's flute and just run to him. And their husbands would say, yes, go, it's good.
1: I'm going too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's not our position. So this is this how the Mahabhagwata thinks. Mahabhagwata means great devotee. These gopis are greatest devotees, and so they, they're seeing the fortune of everyone else and thinking themselves so unfortunate. In reality, their position is so fortunate that they could think like this. This is a stage of love that one will see, even far beneath the stage of the gopis' love in asakti, just before the end of sadhana bhakti, when one becomes starts to become attached to Krishna in a particular way before entering into Pahala Bhakti, then kind of a simplicity comes over the devotee. Rather than a sophisticated and polished, uh, he becomes rather simplistic and childlike and looks and sees things and thinks, it must be a sign from Krishna that I should go this way or I should go that way. He sees things happen and not to make a comparison but... uh, give you an idea of what I mean, when I was quite young and came to, wanted to join Mahaprabhu's mission, Prophet's mission. It's a long story, but I ended up at a, at a festival in Berkeley, and it was on Mahaprabhu's appearance day. And the devotees had a big murti of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They took into the park, and they were chanting and circumambulating the deity. And the deity was posed like this, kind of like our Mahaprabhu, but one hand out and one hand up. Means one hand to the people, giving them love of God. Other side, he's gone. In Radha and Radhabav himself. both hands out. We should approach him. we <laughs> will pass us on to Mahaprabhu's one hand, and then the other hand, Mahaprabhu will take us up. So, anyway, I didn't know how to join, and no one was interested in telling me to join, but I was very attracted, so... There had many flowers, and the devotee were throwing flowers and offering them to the deity many carnations. So I managed to get a carnation, and I thought, I'll throw it. And if he catches it in his hand, I'll know I'm accepted. So he threw the flower, and it landed right in his one hand. I thought, I've been accepted as a member. <laughs> 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 Sign from a above. So when the devotees are very advanced, and they practice even in sadhana bhakti, as I say, then they, they see, generally, of course, Prabhupada, would very diligently put the devotees' minds and imagination in place. I've seen in other groups, my perception is outside of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the other spiritual, many spiritual groups influenced by India and other traditions as well, I've seen a tendency where the, the group or the teacher seems to kind of encourage people in such a way that their imagination has a greater part in their practice. And Prabhupada was very keen on not allowing that to happen. A classic example is that story where the devotee said he was chanting, and he said, Prabhupada, every time I chant, a blue light comes and surrounds me. <laughs> and the Prabhupada said, keep chanting, it'll go away. <laughs> <laughs> so, somebody else would have said, yes, yes, that's the aura of Krishna. Very good. That the Prabhupada was not like that. So that may come, <laughs> uh, but uh, that's a ways away. And it won't come like that. <laughs> but certainly Krishna will come to you. And that's true if you chant Hare Krishna. But better not to imagine that something more is happening than what it is. If you could say, Prabhupada, I was chanting, and all these desires came to my mind that I had, it's very good. <laughs> You're supposed to deal with those. Then. <laughs> that's the message. The first stage of the chanting the heart will become cleansed. to so, so many things that are in the heart that uh, aren't favorable to our practice. They'll come to the surface and we'll say, Oh, I have to deal with that now to make progress. Before we're told, don't remain materially attached while chanting the holy name. That's one of the offenses. It means you chant, the name will come and take you and show you. You're like this. I want you to be like this. And then you have to go, oh, I have to change. How difficult. But that's what spiritual life's about, I have to change. We want a spiritual body. We want such transformations of ecstasy like are described in the scripture. But if we are not even willing to bend our body in, in humility and dandabat like Mahaprabhu was asked Janatakisunikana, Dara Pisvishuna. So we have to change in, in, in a radical way. We want to be happy without any limit. And the Vedic message is yes, it's possible. Sridharmash used to say, Om, there's a great affirmation. It's possible, but you want to be happy unlimitedly. It's possible. Om. And then thousands of verses after that say, How to do that? How do you have to change? You can have that, but you just have to change a little bit. But it's at the core of your very being that you have to change. So it seems dramatic, and it is. We should reason like that. I want unlimited happiness. How long have I wanted that? Forever? How close have I gotten? Not very far. Maybe I'm going about it in the wrong way. Maybe I should change something. So then we factor the chanting into our life, the idea theoretically. And then still no change comes. So We have to think, how am I chanting? With what spirit? And And while I'm chanting, is anything coming to light? Are those things that are blocking me from going forward coming to mind? And if so, am I retiring them? If not, then I'm hanging on. That means hanging on to the bodily conception of life in spite of fearing so many things. So Krishna Nam will come and take this. Say, I'm over here, and you're over there. You have to come this side. So with some courage from good sangha, from good company, and feeling, you can feel, he's stretching his hand, the sadhu stretching his hand, grab on, come to the side. So, so many things will come, but not in an imaginary way, in a real way, if we apply ourselves sincerely. It's very simple, actually, this bhakti yoga, Prabhupada once asked, what about bhakti yoga? He said, bhakti yoga? And we simply cry, oh, my dear Krishna, please help me. That's yoga, that's all. This is the heart of that, of yoga. So sincerely, truth attracts truth. Like attracts likes. So be honest. If we want to find a sadhu. Look for an honest person. Look for an honest person. Bhaktisarama Sarasthi Thakur used to say, don't try to be a great devotee. Be a good devotee. That's a big thing. If it was a good devotee, then we'll become a great devotee naturally, automatically. We want to become a great devotee without going through the stage of being a good devotee. This is the problem. So the gopis are great, great, great devotees. And everything they saw, they thought of the fortunate. How fortunate everything else is. The way in which it responds to Krishna and has freedom to interact with him. And our position is so unfortunate. We don't have love for Krishna. We cannot interact freely with Krishna. This is our plight. So their own sentiment, their own power, their own feeling, they're extending onto others. It's said in Bhagavatam, one thinks others to be like himself. So we should be thoughtful about the faults we find in others. They may stick out in others because they actually have some standing within our own selves. The gopis had no faults. They had only love of Krishna. So they saw everyone else as loving Krishna. The beginning devotee, he thinks, I'm a devotee. And there are so many demons out there and so many other people who think they're devotees. They're not good devotees. They're not advanced devotees. He may not say, I'm advanced, but he says, that all these devotees, they're not advanced. So many people out there are demons. (laughs) And then the advanced devotee, he asks the advanced devotee, what does he think? Just the opposite. Everybody's a devotee except for me. He sees devotion in everyone. He's a good in every person. My god-brother, Tamal Krishna Maharaj, as you know, he passed away. And I knew him for many, many years. And we served together for many years. He was a very interesting person, one that you wouldn't forget very easily. I was with, once with Prabhupada, and Prabhupada said, Tamal Maharaj, he will have many enemies. But he had many people that loved him also. And amongst them, was Prabhupada. Actually, Sriram Maharaj loved him also. He said many nice things about him. When he heard him first speak, and he said, Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Tupadakamalam Sri Gurun Vaishnavam Cha. He said, when I heard him say that, I was very happy to hear that. Bande Ham Sri Guru Sri Tupadakamalam Sri Gurun Vaishnavam Scha The whole group He's paying his regards to my guru, my gurus, the sadhus, and, uh, the Vaishnavas, Vandehams, Sri Guru, Sri Juta, Sri Gurun, Vaishnavams, Char. Naturally, he was thought of him as, uh, as a nephew and as someone who had come into the fold of Krishna Consciousness by Prabhupada's influence. It was very important to that such persons would remain in the fold and and be encouraged, and so forth. I remember when some of my brothers had left the mission, they were prominent members in ISKON, and they had left two or three of them, uh, more or less at the same time. And I came to ramaraj to uh, spend some time in Navadri, when I arrived, he said to what is the news? And I knew that he already knew. I sensed that he already knew, but he wanted to get confirmation from me that such persons had had gone, left the mission. Those were trying times just after Prabhupada left. And so I didn't want to confirm it because I knew it would be painful for him. So instead I offered some other news that so-and-so has come. At that time, Janardhan Maharaj had come in the fold of Guru Maharaj. I said, Janardhan Maharaj has come. And Guru Maharaj listened and he said, Anything else? And I was quiet. As I say, I knew it would be painful for him to get the confirmation, but it was unavoidable. So he said, I have heard that so-and-so and so-and-so that they have left the shraddha and left the mission of Swami Maharaj. Is it true? And it was true, of course. And in California, where I had left from to go to the mock, in one part of California, they were celebrating the fact that this one fellow had left. They were having like a festival about, yeah, that guy's finally gone, we're rid of that. that guy. He was a leader of sorts. So Guru Maharaj asked me, and I said, I said, yes, it's true. And then he began to cry. And I knew they were having celebrations in Los Angeles. And I, looking at the contrast between it, and I, I, I couldn't stand, it. I'm in the right place. And then he went on to say, oh, what Swami Maharaj has done is so wonderful. People will come to that, to Mahaprabhu's mission through him, and then go aside. I cannot bear it. I cannot bear that. So he's very affectionately disposed towards all these people, even some of them. Like I say, Mahakrishnamarsh was, as yes, Prabhupada said, he would make a lot of enemies. And I served with him for many years, and a lot of things about him I didn't like. But I know that he did, that he was, in spite of his uh, personality and what not? could could irritate some people, and it had a way of irritating me sometimes. He was very dear to Prabhupada, and he did so much, save him, and he was a, a very very prominent person in probably mission. Very dear to Prabhupada. and uh, the rest of it was superficial. So I always have affectionate feelings for him. When you serve with somebody for so many years, you no know matter what they do, you reflect upon. And not that I'm the best person, so I'm sure he had some differences with me, but he <laughs> liked me. But it was shocking to hear of his departure. And at times like this, we are drawn to think of such a person's good qualities and contribution and and our own shortcomings and, and faults, and it should help to serve to bring us closer together. And while this topic has come up at, by chance in the course of the discussion it so happens that what comes further here is relevant as to this as well. So Mahaprabhu chanted the song of the gopis and thinking of how they were thinking of the good fortune of the deers and as I'm saying the great devotees tend to think of the good qualities of others and think oh only I'm not a devotee, everyone else is a devotee. So Mahaprabhu passing through the jungle, five or seven tigers came and they joined the deer and began to follow the Lord. Deki Mahaprabhu Brindavan Smiti Brindavan Gunam Barnana Shloka padela. another Shloka Mahaprabhu is now will chant. So what happened? The tigers came along with the deer. Now what's happened thus far is Mahaprabhu has been causing different species to chant and dance and become Krishna conscious. Cause elephants to dance and chant, the tigers to dance, the deer. Now what's happening is that the deer and the tigers, who are naturally inimical to one another, they've come together. And so, Brindaban Srimati Haila. bro is reminded of Vrindavan. So this is what Vrindavan is about. And there's a sloka here, he's going to cite now. Sukadev Gosami sang this poem. In the 13th chapter of Bhagavatam's 10th canto, Vi Mohana Leela. Brahma was bewildered by Krishna. After Brahma stole the cowherd boys and calves, Krishna created an illusion. He manifested himself as so many calves and cowherd boys and continued on as if nothing had happened. And Brahma returned from a moment of his time, which was a year later, and saw this, and he was bewildered. Well, I thought I put them in a cave. He went, yeah, they're still in a cave. But who are all these people? Who are all these coward boys and calves? And then Krishna, without saying anything, showed him who they were. And he manifested all the Vishnu forms and showed that all these boys and all these calves were direct expansions of himself. They were the Vishnu tattva, not the shakti tattva, the real coward boys and calves, they're all uh, manifestations of his Swarup shakti. These coward boys and calves were all him, Vishnu tattva. They all appeared as four-armed Vishnus, and they had universes and brahmas in them, and jivas paying obeisances to them. Unlimited numbers of cowherd boys and calves. So unlimited Vishnus showing unlimited universes with unlimited Brahmas, some of them with hundreds of heads and thousands of heads, instead of just four, like this particular Brahma. He saw that. This is all in Vrindavan. This Aishwarya was shown. Brahma was overwhelmed by this. And then, Krishna made it all disappear. And just the Vrindavan forest was there. And Brahma saw the beautiful trees of the Vrindavan forest, which give life to everyone in so many ways. Then Shukadeva said, "He saw this. What he saw was yatru naisargadulvaira sahasanil nriyagadaya mitranivad gita vasa juto rutt tharshanarikam." He saw that all the animals who are naturally inimical towards one another living harmoniously, the tigers and the deers living harmoniously and happily together. There was no hunger, no thirst there, and human beings and wild animals, they all lived together in transcendental friendship. And Krishna is mentioned in this verse by the name Ajita. Ajita. So Brahma saw this. And this verse describes what is Vrindavan. It's this type of when the walls all break down and And you stop seeing things through the lens of your mind, which causes you to think, I and mine, that's his, this is mine, this belongs to me, these are my friends, these are my enemies. This is all seeing the world through the lens of the mind. If we can take those mental glasses off and see through the soul, then we see the common ground that we all stand on. Krishna consciousness is for that. My friend who was just here, Keshav Maharaj, who was very close to Tamal Marsh for many years. In fact, he was mentioned apparently in his will as the person, one of the persons that Tamal Marsh wanted to conduct the Samadhi rites for him at the time of his passing. He wrote and he said that Tamal Krishnamaraj was in Mayapur and he was chanting for two hours every night in his room, and so many devotees were coming holding kirtan. And he gripped Keshav in the morning on his way out. He said, This kirtan is so wonderful. It can change everything, it can solve all problems, all the problems it can solve, this chanting. This is how he was thinking when he left Mayapur, just one, two hours before he left the world, very excited about the power of Krishnam. So we should take heed of this, it has the power to melt the mental constructs which have us positioned as friends and enemies, and especially in the Vaishnava community. We're all involved in the same thing. There should be proper uh, dealings. It's one family. I was with Prabhupada, and I told this story before, but it's worth repeating. When he took the famous trip to Ditanagari on the bus, Prabhupada used to dream about riding on one of those buses and going into the villages and doing Sankirtan. He used to have actually a dream of having a boat and a recurring dream, and going from port to port, doing Sankirtan all over the world. And they'd come in on the boat of kirtan, and enter the village and come back out and go to the next port. As it came to pass, he had these, uh, so many buses. Small Krishna was in charge of what was called the Radha Damodar Traveling Sankirtan Party with Vishnu John Swami. And I was also involved with that party for quite a number of years. These buses had a tie on them and they would travel throughout the countryside doing kirtan and book distribution and so forth. So, probably always wanted to ride on one of those buses. Although we had big temples everywhere and so forth, he wanted to get in the van and go out there. And <laughs> Once he came to Chicago and he was greeted by the devotees, and then some interviewers, some reporters came to interview him. So, he was sitting on a seat that we had arranged for him, and a lady reporter was interviewing him, and she said, uh, Swamiji, uh, I've heard that you have many cars here in Chicago, that you own many, many cars. Is that, uh, is that true? And Prabhupada said, Yes. Oh, yes. So many. And he's writing it down like, oh, we got them here. He's supposed to be spiritual, but he's got so many cars. He says, Yes, we have so many, so many. He said, I think they are Volkswagen, which is not like Mercedes. <laughs> And our men and boys and girls, they're going in the van and out into the villages. They're going in the countryside and distributing our books and the lady kind of just, huh, oh, it's like that and we'll cross that out. <laughs> <laughs> and without maybe even realizing what she was asking, a loaded question, and he totally disarmed her just by his truthfulness and, and innocence and, and so on. So, anyway, Prabhupada got the chance to ride on one of his buses. We arranged for him to go from the New York Temple to the Gita Nagari Farm in Pennsylvania, which is a couple hours' ride, several hours' ride, maybe three, four hours. He rode on the bus, and Prabhupada chanted for Gornitai, and some prasad was offered, and then Prabhupada took rest. And I watched him the whole time, taking rest, and he was resting, and his beads just moving, and resting. So, we got to Gita Nagari and Prabhupada was shown around, and and we took rest, and that morning, it was uh, morning program and so fourth Prabhupada was kind to me, he asked me to sing the Guru Puja and Sri Guru Vandanam. And then we went out and we toured the barn, and we had many cows there. And while we were in the barn, suddenly a mouse ran. We were all just standing, and a mouse ran, and, then, and stopped, kind of looked at Prabhupada, and went about his business, and Prabhupada looked with big eyes, and he said... Just see, this is Brindavan. There are the cows and the calves. There are the adults and the children. And there is a dog, there is a cat, and there is a mouse, all living harmoniously together. Mm. This is Brindavan. That's what he said. Next morning we went to New York, back on the bus. And I was right behind Prabhupada as we got on the bus, and he turned around to and he said, Did you see it? I didn't know what to say. And he said, there was the cat and the mouse and the dog, and the children and the adults and the cows and the calves all living together. This is Vrindavan. And I just went, oh, yeah. yes, Prabhupada. We got on the bus and I sat behind Prabhupada. He turned around to me again. He said, did you see it? Like that. And I said, yes, Prabhupada. I'm seeing you. That is Vrindavan. That is Vrindavan. So this is actually the verse that he was referring to, thinking of. Mahaprabhu has chanted it here. So this is Vrindavan. It's a place to go, no doubt, but it's in the heart, beyond the mind, where everyone has something in common and affectionate dealings with one another, which is only possible. Krishna is in the center. So Mahaprabhu is so much bringing Krishna in the center. He is Krishna. Here he is in the forest, bringing everyone to the center of their being. Bhakti is actually, in a sense, latent or inherent in the heart, in as much as everyone has a propensity for love. So it's not artificial. Like, knowledge is a very superficial thing. Love that is based in the heart. The soul, by its nature, is a dedicating unit of consciousness. So it has dedication at its foundation, its being. Before bhakti is natural, it's just directing the dedication to the proper center. And when that's done, you know, harmonious living, even amongst those who are inimical, like God-brothers, <laughs> 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 that kind of thing. Krishna, Krishna, kaha, kari-prabhu, bhailit Krishna, kohi vyagrum rita na So when Mahabrabhu said chant, Krishna, Krishna! The tigers and deer began to chant, Krishna, and dance. kunde viagra gaan, murgi gaan chonge, Balabhadra bata charite ki apur Balabhadra is absolutely struck with wonder, seeing the tigers and the deers jumping and dancing. Viagra migra anjonye kore ailing gaan, muke muke diya kore anjonye kumbande kissed one another. <laughs> The deers kissed the tigers. Indeed, the deers and tigers began to embrace one another, and touching mouths they began to kiss. Prabhu hasite logila, gela. When Mahaprabhu saw all this fun, he began to smile and laugh, and finally he left the animals and continued on his way. So now Mahaprabhu is leaving the forest. We'll hear tomorrow how he comes. Into the villages, to the people, and how he will affect them. So, in this way, we should uh, remember Mahaprabhu's pastimes and live in Vrindavan. Any question? Uh, Maharaj, how can we understand, how can we uh, conceive uh, Krishna's protection when we think about a violent uh, death uh, or violent accident? Mm. When we think about Krishna Goswami Maharaj who is obviously a prominent Vaishnava, a great devotee. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, um, someone might wonder that how could an important devotee die in such an unexpected and out-of-the-ordinary way, which is kind of your question. And I think what's important is that the particular... Nature, for example, of Damakrish departure should not color in our vision his whole life, but his whole life should color the nature of his departure. Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, right? You're sure about that. His life was divine. He left the world by being shot in the foot with an arrow by a hunter. Now, we can say, well, he must be mundane then, he just died from an arrow in the foot, shot accidentally by a hunter. Hunter thought he was, uh, was something else and shot him. So we can dismiss everything else about Krishna on account of that, or we can think, there must be some other way of thinking about that, because it doesn't match up with everything else in Krishna's life. And that's the, the latter is the proper way to to think about it. And of course, the have, and they've written about it and explain how Krishna arranged like this and, and so on and so forth. But ostensibly, you wouldn't have expected that Krishna would leave the world like that. There's a mystery about Mahaprabhu's departure. Devotees say different things. But there are people who are non-devotees who have done research and say things about his departure that would make his departure seem outside of the protection of Krishna, let's say. <laughs> we don't necessarily accept their interpretation and so forth. Anyway, so it's not entirely unprecedented. And someone may say, well, what is he doing in a car, You know, as a devotee, leaving Mayapur, going into the world? Mayapur is, you know, is the Dham of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? And, of course, to answer that question, we would say, just ask Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasudhita who was also told, "Why are you leaving the Dom to go to Calcutta? You're going into the zone of Maya." Instead of staying in the Dom, in other words, his answer was to bring the Dom to Calcutta, and in the driving in the motor car, he started all these things. So he left on his, no doubt, thinking of spreading Krishna consciousness. That's what happens when they leave Mayapur. The devotees. They're all enthusiastic for some preaching campaign and so forth. And he left in the dom, on his way for preaching, and so maybe something in his life, we don't know all the details, that is in Krishna's hands, caused it to happen in that way, and finish something, that reaction that needed to be finished, that he could have access. This is a way to think about such things. Sometimes there may be great souls, and Krishna causes them an awkward situation, puts them in an awkward situation, just so that they can overcome some particular obstacle. They have to step back and then and then go forward to humble them to the extreme and go forward, or maybe as I say, to finish some reaction, maybe some offense was there, and do to to a devotee and by this it's finished something like the in the in the dawnm. Everything has to be looked at very, from many different angles. And I think if you do that, then you can find some uh, answer to your question. They said to pass the world in the Dham is the safest, or in St. Prabhupada once asked Guru Maharaj when he was, uh, Sridhar Maharaj, he was in, uh, in the States and he had, had, a, had been hospitalized actually with a heart condition and he wrote to Sridhar Maharaj and he asked his advice that I'm old and, I'm, and my warning is already there, has already come, my condition of heart, and should I go to Vrindavan for leaving the world, for passing, or should I remain here and preaching? The preaching is good, I'm getting good success. And Sridhar Maharaj, true to the spirit of Bhagavad Gita Siddhartha wrote back, stay there and preach. If you die preaching, that is as good or better. So the Maharaj was going for preaching and the Lord didn't let him leave the dom; forced him to stay. He must have wanted him there very strongly. Best to think along these lines. That would be good for us. Try to develop this tendency to find the good in, in everything. That will only help us. That cannot hurt us. We will never lose by that.